All right, good morning. We'll be, our text will be second, it's page 1855 in the Bibles. It is uh, <laughs> First Peter, not second, First Peter chapter 2. I knew I was going to do that. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Um, so the, the, the topic we're going to be hammering on is how do we be a holy priesthood? It mentions it, mentions it twice in the text here. And um, just what does that look like? What does that even mean? And uh, hopefully by the end of this, we will have a better understanding, uh, hope, and a charge to go and be this in our, our world. Uh, but before we, we get started, I want to, uh, I know David just, just prayed, but I want to pray once more before we jump in. Father, thank you for today. Just, uh, I just want to ask that you guard me, guard my words, uh, guard ears that hear that uh, what I say is true. And... Um, True about you, true about us, that you get the glory, not any finite creature. Uh, that we will live forever with you one day, but that uh, today you are honored and your son is lifted high. His name we pray, amen. All right, so, um, yes, second, first, ah, I did it again. First Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, but yeah, as David was praying, it just reminded me that we did go to uh, camp this past week. It was grades 7 through 12. And um, I was, you know, when you get people from different churches together, they always ask, hey, where are you from? You know, there's people from Georgia, South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, uh, Tennessee. We were the only one from Tennessee, but, you know, they're, okay, where are you from? How big's your church? And what's it look like? And all this. And um, we were really blessed that uh, for a church our size, we have two pastors, four deacons, three directors we just brought on for the youth and the children. So that is a blessing for a church, 200, 250, somewhere in there, people. Um, that's a, you know, there were, there was quite a few people there that were like, wow, really, you have that many uh, staff members. And so anyway, it's, it's, God's been really good to us. He's blessed us a lot over the last, uh, I don't know, seven years since I've been here. So um, it's been really cool to see just how he's worked and the people he's put together. I've had these conversations with other people in our church that um, there's no way that any of us would assemble the church the way it's assembled. And that's why it wouldn't work how it works, um, because we would assemble people like, like us. And um, it would be, it'd be, a, it'd be a disaster. So anyway, let's get started. I'll read. Again, it's, I think it's 1855 in the black Bibles that are underneath the chairs if you don't have one. Just take that with you and um, keep it. So starting here, First Peter chapter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it is for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying as I am. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, we're called to be a holy priesthood, and then later Peter tells us that we are a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood. So what does that entail? Um, we know that we will get into it in a little bit, but there are different offices throughout the Bible, through the New, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament, there were prophet, priest, and king were the three offices uh, that were held. And, um, but, but we're going to be focusing on priests today. We'll touch the other ones a little bit. But a priest, so I have a few definitions here. A priest is a representation of the image of God and human as one. They represent... The priest represents God to the people. A priest represents the people to God. Um, so in the Old Testament, the high priest in Leviticus, I almost got Brent to read this, but we decided it was better to not read this at the beginning. Um, it was the priestly garments. So was, there was a, a, a layout or a very detailed uh, description of how the high priest, what he would wear when he took on the priestly role. Okay, so it was um, so the, the prophet and the king. The prophet you would know, if you were walking out in public, you would know who the prophets were. They were the people that communicated God's word to the, to the people, to God's people. They were the people that told God's people his word, and they reminded them of the word that he had said. Uh, so they were usually out by themselves, you know, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, John the Baptist. He was out in camel skins eating locusts. He was pretty obvious. Uh, then you had the king. So the king is who executed the law. He, he upheld the law. Um, he also, obviously, everybody knew him. He had kingly garments. He had a crown. Um, he was in charge of God's people. He was to uh, establish the law to rule. And then you had the priest. The priests were, on a Thursday morning, if you saw the priest, you would not necessarily recognize them um, unless you knew who the high priest was. So they more so blended in to the people but they took on this role as high priest when they put on these garments. So the garments that were in the high priestly garments were the same, some of the same stones that were in the Garden of Eden. Uh, it was a, a, a shining um, robe they put on. They had a crown also, but it was like they, they, it was like a glorious, awesome, shining, reminding the people, representing God, but it was a man in it. Okay, so it was a man putting on this uh, representation of Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, right? They sinned, they were expelled from the garden. And ever since then, the people are like, okay, the Eden is where the good stuff is. We got to either get people back to the good stuff, or we got to get the good stuff to the people, to the nations, right? So the good stuff, Eden, where communion with God was, where perfection was, where satisfaction was, where... Uh, fulfillment, contentment, all these things that we are all looking for was lost when we, sin entered the world. We lost all these things. So ever since, they, ever since then and still today, people are still searching for 
satisfaction, fulfillment, contentment. Uh, who am I? What am I here for? What's my purpose? All these things in life have been searched for from, from, since the beginning, since the fall. And um, so the high priest was, a few more definitions now. It was a person who connects people to heaven. That's the most basic definition. Uh, that's one reason I don't like yoga. Because yoga is, was, for the Buddhist and Hindu, was the way they connected with the, with the divine. So I'm against yoga, but go ahead and do yoga if you like it. But um, I don't like it because that's what it was originally created for. That was how they connected with the divine. Um, but to be a priest is to stand at the meeting point of heaven and earth, to represent people to God, but also to represent God to people. So our best definition example today would be a, an elected representative to go on behalf of the people. So the high priest, once a year, would, would put on his, his uh, wardrobe, his priestly garments. It would remind people of the garden, of perfection, of what we had lost, what we're looking for. And he would go on behalf of the people to, rep to offer a sacrifice to God in the Holy of Holies. You know, the tabernacle was where God dwelt. So he would be, uh, his wardrobe would have all these stones and gems. It would shine, it would be bright. Reminding the people that there is a God-man that has to stand between us and heaven. There has to be a sacrifice of bloodshed to get us back to what we lost. That is what the high priest's main job was. Was to stand in our way to get us to heaven. To be the mediator between the created, us, and the creator. Uh, so you got kind of like the heavens and then the land. There's a separation there, the creator and the created. And humans are the only one with a little of both. So all of creation is created. We are created, but we are made in the image of God. So we have his likeness. And um, that is, we are, Adam and Eve were created to reign and rule on the earth that was lost and ever since then we've been looking to get back to the garden so that's what the priesthood was to be an elected representative to stand on behalf of the people to represent the people to God to represent God to the people okay so how do we do that it goes into uh, we're going to most of our time is going to be spent in verse 9 and then 11, but we'll jump around a little bit. Uh, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession. So you're a chosen race, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So the, the, the Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, Brent read, that explains that perfectly. We're all in darkness, and God has brought us into his light. So let's go to that first slide there of, of um, how do we proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. So I got a few uh, practical applications of how do we do what the priesthood is called to do today. Because that's the Old Testament. That was, uh, you know, sometimes it seems like it was a long time. It was a long time ago, but it was still very relevant today. Um, how are we to be a priesthood today in our society as we go from work or home or, or wherever, church and uh, hobbies? So what are you about? 
Um, I used to think of, like, if I could look at myself from other people's eyes, what would they see? What do they see? What do they, what do they think about me? What do they, um, what would they say? What do they, you know, if I'm, if I was someone else and say, hey, what about this guy? What, what's he about? Tell me about him. Um, that's what we as Christians are to be about, is proclaiming the gospel. That's what we're called to do. That's what we were made to do. That's why our contentment is found, is to know the gospel. We'll get into that later, but it's what are you, what are you who are you, uh, what are you about? And um, so that's our main goal as, as Christians. So, you know, you have talents, you have um, things you like to do, things you enjoy doing, your hobbies, your pastimes. And um, I would say that keep doing those. Keep Whenever you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that your whole life is going to be changed. Just the whole trajectory of your life has changed. The intentions that you do things are going to change. The, uh, the goals you have are going to change. Um, so what are you about? What would someone... That's, that's a hard question to think about. Is um, when, when I, I say, okay, so someone I work with or I, that I'm with a lot, my close friends, um, if they were to... You ever seen the, the movie Liar, Liar with Jim Carrey? You know, he couldn't lie, so... If they were on Liar Liar and uh, they had to tell you what you were about, um, what would they say? All right, next is what do you praise? Uh, Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-one says, uh, a man is tested by his praise. Um, and um, we praise a lot of things. I know used to when uh, a lot of us were little, you know, the grandmas would drop their pictures and have all their grandbabies and sons and all that. Now it's on cell phones or Facebook. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to praise that. Um, but what, I see, what, we see, what we see a lot is that our praise stops there. Um, that whenever we praise something, it ends, it doesn't go high enough. So we have to learn to practice praising the things that need our, that deserve our praise which is God, um, the one that's infinite. Uh, this past week, we talked about the attributes of God, and it was, uh, they did a really, really great job of just explaining, uh, which I mean, I've heard, you, you, it's one of the things, that like, you know it, you've heard it, but just, just been refreshed of um, who God is and how he is, he is infinitely large, but he can fill the smallest spaces, and um, just how that works out and how all these things flow from him. Um, that he is worthy of our praise because he is, he doesn't need us. He doesn't, he didn't, cre- did not create us out of a necessity or uh, a need or um, anything in us. He created us because that just flowed out from who he is. And um, that's what we should praise is the one that, even though he created us when he didn't need to and we rebelled against him, he has made a way for us to. Uh, be back in relationship with him. So uh, the next one is, what do you glory in? But I'm going to skip that one because I just kind of covered that one. Speak truth. Yeah. So this is a simple one. Um, seemingly simple is that we are called to speak truth. One thing we, we talk about speaking truth is that words are important. Um, the words that you speak matter. We are people of truth. We know the truth. 
Uh, the truth sets people free. Um, but whenever we, we can mean really, really well. We can mean really, really well. But if we don't say things that are true, it can cause a lot of damage. Um, so we are called to speak truth. So God revealed himself to us through language, right? The Bible. He used words to reveal himself to us. So he's unknowable outside of the Bibles, the scriptures. We can't know God. So one, one, another reason that speaking truth is important is speaking is because God reveals himself in language. So whenever we talk, we need to use right context. Like um, my children, they do not call me mother, right? They call me dad or daddy or father because I am not a mother. Uh, they don't call Katie daddy because she's not a, a man. So like things like that are in our culture today, it's, you know, language is getting rewritten, redefined. And um, as people of truth of the gospel, we need to stand firm on what is true. What what word means what? Um, there's a time to take a stand on um, what we know to be truth. We need to be proclaimers of truth. Um, because what happens is over time, over generations, this word gets changed, this word gets changed, this word gets changed. And before you know it, uh, you have a lot of maybe well-meaning people that don't know the truth that have created a totally different gospel than what the gospel is that saves. All right, next. Is anything, even good things, less than the one who sacrificed himself, getting our praise is idolatry? So in Old Testament, when the high priest would go in every year, he'd go in every year. He'd put on his priestly garments. He would go into the, uh, the tabernacle, which had three different rooms. And the last room was the Holy of Holies. And that's where he would offer the sacrifice for the sins of the people each year. He had offered each year because it was an animal sacrifice. The sacrifice wouldn't last. So each year he'd have to go in to represent the people to offer a sacrifice on their behalf. And... Um, what happened was that was just pointing to, again, it was, it was, the, it was the, a man in shining clothes representing God's glory. But it was a man, and it was pointing to Jesus, the high priest that fulfilled this office. Uh, so we don't have a high priest anymore because this, this office has been filled. We don't have um, a man king or a prophet because all these offices were fulfilled in Christ. So Jesus was the high priest, the king the prophet that came uh, to fulfill all these things. So when Jesus came, he offered the only thing that would satisfy ultimately, which was himself. And um, even good things. So, you know, people say, hey, uh, what are you proclaiming? When people ask, what are you about? What do you praise? What do you glory in? Um, what truth do you speak? I think of a lot of people, myself included at times, that would say, um, I'm about this, or I praise this, I glory in this, even good things. Um, like, it happens a lot when someone says, hey, what do you believe? And they say, well, I'm a Baptist. Or I go to First Baptist, or I go to Eastview, or I go to the Pentecostal Church, or I go to Church of Christ. That can tell someone some things, but we need to be proclaiming, especially if someone asks you what do you believe? Like, that's a fast one in the middle of, okay, here we go. This is an easy one. Um, we need to be about Jesus. 
Um, it's easy. It's a lot easier in culture and life to not get there, to stop short and say, I'm about this local body or this denomination or I'm in this group or I'm in this. That's, that's a lot easier than taking it to where it needs to go and saying, I'm about Jesus. That's where my praise is. That's what I glory in. That's who I stand in awe of. This is why. Um, because only the gospel message frees people from slavery. Verse 9 says, They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So don't be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians. Um, that should not be surprising to us. If someone is a slave to sin, when sin says jump, they jump. When sin says do this, they do that. When it says do, they, they, can't, they can't say no. And us as God's people, His chosen race, we can say no. We have been enslaved to sin. We have been set free from that slavery with the gospel message so we can free them. So we see people in sin. And that's not, you know, like love the, the sinner, hate the sin. But we, we can do that. We can show mercy to people that do awful things by knowing that they're just slaves. They're slaves to sin. We have a different master. We have a different um, one we follow. Our next is on the proclaiming the gospel is proclaim the gospel to yourself on a consistent basis. So you yourself, if you're a Christian, you still need the gospel. Um, the gospel is not for non-believers only. It is. But we need to remind ourselves of the gospel every day. We need to wake up and tell ourselves, remind ourselves of getting in a habit of teaching yourself the gospel truths of who you are, uh, what you stand for, what we're going to do and not do that day. Um, if you struggle with something, remind yourself of the gospel. That's the only power um, you have in life. If you're going day to day on your own, on your own, um, you're going to get crushed. Um, and you may anyway, but at least you have the gospel to, 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 to rely back on. All right, moving on to verse 12 here. That was verse 9. We'll read verse 9 through 12 again. Um, but you are a chosen race, a, ro a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, so, living out the gospel. Keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. How are we going to be priests to our culture? Again, remember, the priests were the ones that on a Thursday morning you wouldn't know that they were a prophet or a king. You wouldn't know they were a priest. You would know the prophet, you would know the king. You wouldn't know the priest on Thursday morning. So, like, as we're out in the world, as we're just mingling among who we usually hang out with, um, how are we living out this priesthood that we're called to do? 
I'll be a Christian everywhere. If you're a Christian, you should be a Christian. Um, you don't, you're not, there's nothing, uh, this might be unpopular, but there's nothing sacred or holy about this building. Um, we could have this exact service outside, like we're going to next week. We could have it on a farm, in a, on a hayfield. Um, this building is not where you come and be, be a Christian. Like when, if someone's cussing outside or they cuss in the building, there's no difference. Um, if you're online, if you're, you don't, don't hide behind the computer. Um, you know, we're going to have to give an account for every word we say or do uh, from our mouth or on Twitter or, or Facebook or TikTok or Instagram or whatever it is. So be a Christian everywhere. If you're a Christian, be a Christian. Um, next is don't be a dry drunk. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So I got this one from uh, this past week. I thought it was a really good uh, analogy of, you know, you have a, a, an old drunk that's in prison, and uh, or they get put in jail for a couple weeks, and they don't have a drink for a couple weeks. And as soon as they get out, what do they do? They run to get drunk again because they were separated from it, but their wants and desires didn't change. So, you know, like at times whenever we... We're like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, say we were at camp this past week. Um, if you're ever engulfed in camp, you're like, you got two services a day for six days. Great teaching and everything. So it's like you're, you're separated into this um, place to where it's not really in the world. You are, but it's, it's, it's a little different if you're not familiar with it. So how do you keep that? Um, it is... Because a lot of times, whenever we sin, if we're honest, we want to sin, right? Uh, we want to do the things we do. Whenever we do something, you can pretty much break it down to, I did this because I wanted to. Um, I know sometimes we're pressured, but still you did what you wanted to in that situation. So the only way to break the desires and the wants of who you are deep down inside is Jesus. That's it. Because naturally, we are selfish and inward looking, and we want glory, and we want praise, and we're, uh, we want what we want. We don't care about others as much as we should. Um, so the only way to, we can keep this in for a little while, but eventually that sin's going to come up. Uh, we, we don't want to just weed eat, just trim the weeds, because what's going to happen? It's going to come back, right? The only way to kill our sin, you know, be, be killing sin or it will be killing you, is to get to the root. And that's what Jesus came to die for. Next is love people. I don't like to, you know, go love on people. Just love people. Don't love on them. Um, but uh, we can love people. Uh, we can genuinely love people because God's love has been extended to us through His Son. Um, when people do bad things to us, we can be angry and love at the same time. Um, you know, uh, a lot of times that's, that's really hard to do is that when you're angry, you want to only be wrathful. But we can love and show grace, mercy while we're angry, even though we disagree with things people do. Again, um, when we see someone sinning, if they're a non-Christian, we should not be surprised by their sin. All right, next is... Uh, how to live out the gospel is be confident, but only because of Christ's finished work. Uh, that's a tough one. 
I've heard a lot about um, you have to love yourself before you can love others, and that's anti, that's against what the scriptures say. It says deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Uh, so we're confident people by living out the gospel, but we're only confident because Christ has finished the work for us. So we know our future hope. We know where we're ending up. We know our future glory. We know what God has promised us. It's not because we can do it on our own. We proclaim the gospel to ourselves on a consistent basis. We know the truth. We speak the truth. We love people. And we're confident because of what Christ has done for us. How do we know, how do we show Jesus to a lost world? I'm going to Exodus 34, 5 through 8. This is going to kind of tie in the proclaim and live out together. So Exodus 34, this is Moses, and he's talking to God. And um, he, he tells God that, I want to see you. And um, so God tells him, okay, I'll, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by. You're not going to see me, but you'll see my backside. So starting in verse 5. So the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clearly guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. So how do we show Jesus to a lost world? When God showed himself to Moses, he proclaimed two things. He proclaimed the name of the Lord, and he was telling him his attributes. God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast, steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. So going back to that truth of we've got to be truth speakers. We have to speak truth. If we know truth, um, we have to live out what we know, knowing right is going to end up in doing right. And lastly is be glory deflectors. So um, in our culture, it's really difficult to do this because um, in any culture, I'm sure, but I only know the American culture. But um, we should always be glory deflectors, um, not glory thieves. It's really easy to try to steal God's glory, what he's done. Um, who he is, if we do something well. I know like, you know, even preparing for a sermon, when I'm preaching about this, it's hard not to want to do really good and people think I'm smart and, uh, um, you know, have good analogies and people pat you on the back and say, great job. Um, so that's, you know, it's like an inward battle of a weird kind of dynamic there of... Um, want to do a good job, but you want to show God for who he is. And um, yes, we are to be glory deflectors. When, when people see us, it should point them to Christ and who he is. Uh, because when they, when they do speak against you as evildoers, uh, they will see our good works, good deeds, and glorify God on the day of visitation. So let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for today for um, just who you are, that... Um, you are a good God, 
that, that is righteous and just. Uh, you have all power. Uh, you chose to be merciful to us, to um, show yourself to us through your word, and that um, you came to save us, that you sent your son uh, on behalf of uh, those you set your love on. And I ask that we live this out in our lives, in our daily lives, that we uh, love people, that we speak truth, that we um, are not cowardly, that we stand up uh, for who you are, that we um, want to see your name proclaimed among the nations. In uh, Jesus' name I pray, amen.